Welcome to another edition of On the Inside Track. Have you ever wondered how a person became who they are today? How did they come to certain beliefs? How did they choose a particular path? Who or what influenced the person they are now? Join me, Debbie Hazelton, on the inside track as one-on-one my guests and I explore defining moments from there to here on the inside track. Hi, everybody. This is Rachel Schroeder, president of Illinois Council of the Blind, and I am so very much looking forward to seeing all of you here in our state in Schaumburg, Illinois, for the 2020 ACB National Convention. Looking forward to seeing you. No matter who you are or where you live, you can participate in ACB families. We're as close as your telephone and as easy to reach as dialing a number. ACB families host two informational and peer support calls each month. We're hosting three events at the 2020 ACB Conference and Convention. A breakfast, a bingo, and a campfire sing. Join our ACB family. Dues are just $8. Find out more. Call 502-897-1472 or email allacbfamilies at gmail.com. That's 502-897-1472 or allacbfamilies at gmail.com. If you're a licensed radio amateur or have an interest in ham radio, the ACB Radio Amateurs Affiliate is for you. ACBRA activities include monthly conference calls, which are usually held on the second Sunday of the month. We also offer a members-only email list. And during convention, we gather on a simplex frequency. Yearly dues are $10 and may be mailed to our treasurer or paid during our annual meeting, which is held the second to last day of the ACB convention. For more information, Contact ACB Radio Amateurs President Harvey Hagee at harvey.heagy at cox.net. Join ACB Radio Amateurs and add your knowledge and input to our affiliate. Hello, hello, it's Debbie Hazelton, and welcome to March edition of On the Inside Track. And this month, we have someone I've just recently Uh, met, come across in my work here at ACB Radio. This is Renee Pavlis. And uh, Renee has studied, uh, she's done a lot of counseling and coaching and a lot of work with people in the area of personal growth and self-empowerment and ways to help people feel better because she's walking the walk with her own life, her own personal journey of living with blindness and expanding all the while in her life to figure out, well, what is it that will help me feel better and in turn help others feel better? So Renee is eager to do a show for us here on ACB Radio Mainstream, and so I thought it would be good to have her on uh, as a guest on the inside track. So I hope you enjoy with me, Renee Pavlis. Well, see, 
that's one of the things that I keep feeling to let people know is no matter what has gone before, every moment is a new, new moment. <laughs> I heard somebody say a quote the other day. They said, I'm not the same person I was yesterday and neither are you. So like we always have a new opportunity to begin. So true. So I just feel like we got another wonderful gift when you got in touch with ACB Radio to indicate that you want to do a show with us. And so I invited you to be on the inside track and you let me know that you have been doing lots of different things over the years to help people. Kind of like you, kind of yes, like you. Like in lots of ways, yes. <laughs> so On the Inside Track is a show where I love to let people share about life choices of life experiences maybe that brought any of us to different choices. So the subtitle of it is Defining Moments from there to here, wherever there is to wherever here is. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So I would love for you to share. I get the sense you've been on quite a journey. Well, most of us have. And I really acknowledge that. And I don't like the word sympathy, but I empathize. Yes. Um, What's the although, difference? That's great. Well, sympathy has a connotation of my in my eyes it has the connotation of being negative or mm-hmm. wanting someone to feel sorry for you mm-hmm. whereas i'm not about that i've done enough of that in my lifetime to myself i'm about understanding but also understanding with some caveats in there okay part of understanding is forgiveness and I've really struggled myself with a lot of self-forgiveness for things that didn't come around or happen or were very difficult to obtain. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, it's, it's, it's more of a question at this point in my life. I just turned 65, older gal. And um, it's more of a question now of being present. It's a question of helping myself... Um, financially, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and also helping others to understand who they are and uh, what they're about, uh, despite of disability, difference, uniqueness, uh, working out of the proverbial box or whatever you do or whatever your lifestyle is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I started off on this journey. Um, I, like you, uh, assume... I was born premature in 1955. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And I was given oxygen in the purest form because mm-hmm. at that time they were just figuring out that the oxygen was scarring the retina of the eyes or was um, uh, destroying the retinas. Uh, I, I look at it this way, almost like taking a, a piece of saran wrap or a piece of um, wax paper. I don't know if people use wax paper anymore. I still make pie with it, but whatever. You what? I still I still a roll of pie with it sometimes. Okay, I roll good. pie dough with it. Yeah. <laughs> I love so it. you know, my grandmother used to she used to wrap our sandwiches in it. Wait, there back you in go. The day. There you go. Yeah, yes. I, I don't even know what it's used for today, but anyway, but that's what we used to use it for. And so I started off at two pounds and four ounces. Oh, you were just an ounce under me. 
Okay, well, all right. See, I told you we were kids. One little ounce. There you go. I love it. Kismet, kismet. (laughs) Well, anyway, I uh, was born, and uh, I was uh, about, I'm thinking 10 to 12 weeks early, although I don't, I really can't say because my mom's not here at this point to tell me. Um, She's she's with the angels, but Mm -hmm. that's another story for another day. Hi, Mom. How are you? Anyway. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. And um, Mm -hmm. she was only 18 years old when she had me. Wow. And she had a son nine months before me who died of the same condition, premature birth. Oh, my goodness. His name was Anthony. Did she have something happen to her where she couldn't carry babies full term? Well, she, your mom too? My mom did. My mom lost, uh, my mom lost five stillborns and miscarriages. Oh, I am so sorry. And she adopted my sister. Then she got pregnant with me unexpectedly. Well, how lucky is she? How lucky were you? I know. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I was pretty lucky. I was pretty fortunate. My brother did not, my brother did not make it. Uh Um, His little lungs collapsed. His name was Anthony, mm-hmm. and he passed on, I don't know whether it was the day he was born or the day after, but oh, uh, they say sometimes uh-huh. back then that little boys' lungs weren't as uh, strong as girls, but I don't know if that's a myth. Well, they used to say that uh, babies that were, con- that were males were not as healthy in some ways. Okay, well, maybe that girls. was it, but yeah. I, heard, I heard the lungs weren't as Mm-hmm. Yeah, strong, but whatever. Anthony, we are strong. We are strong. <laughs> well, yeah, we're women. What do you want? Right. Anyway, right. uh, you know. Um, so Sorry, Anthony, <laughs> I didn't make it, but I was born nine, ten months later, mm-hmm. and in January of nineteen fifty-five. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom, like I said, was only eighteen years old because she got married at sixteen. I guess back in those days, that did happen more mm-hmm. frequently than oh, it does sure. today. Mm-hmm. Although today, we, girls just have babies. They don't, yeah. <laughs> they don't get married. Anyway, she got <laughs> married, and she had me, and um, she didn't know at first that I couldn't see because I guess back in those days, you know, they didn't have really a lot of roadmaps mm-hmm. telling people what to do and how to do it and when to do it and where to do it and what to do. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, she t- she always said to me, she went by the seat of her pants mm-hmm. uh, to raise me because she, I mean, there was no roadmap and there were no people out there to advise. Mm-hmm. She didn't know till I was three or four months old that I couldn't see, except uh-huh. she assumed something was going on. She was pretty inept and, and pretty, you know, know. It, she knew something was going on but the because I wasn't responding. Doctors didn't tell her? Doctors didn't you know what? Know. I don't know if they told her, but maybe they didn't really tell her. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of indicated perhaps. But mm-hmm. I was in an incubator like you probably for over three months. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And uh, it's interesting because I'm in the process of um, writing my memoir and then hoping to write some other anthologies on other people's experiences with disabilities mm-hmm. or difference mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, from what I I understand, and I'm going to blank here because I'm old. Anyway, uh, that's beside the point. (laughs) Um, They didn't know what they know today, and today they can prevent and do some things. Not always. We still have children born. We used to call it RLF, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, Rentrolentral fibroplasia. Now it's ROP, retinopathy of prematurity. Right. So what happened was the retina was still attached, and I did see a little light, I guess, mm-hmm. but it was it it was still attached, and I compare it to either cellophane or wax paper being crumpled. Well, there we go with that wax paper again. I love it. Okay. Yeah, well, what can I say? Uh, lots of uses back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. there certainly was. Yeah. So, so but anyway. It filtered out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it was like it was deformed. It was crumpled. It was it, it atrophied or it, sure. it, it, mm-hmm. it did something. So I, I didn't know then, obviously, but like you, I was in an incubator for all those months and um and this is a, a, a different caveat, but as I'm writing my book, that seems to be my favorite word these days. Um, anyway, um, as I'm writing my book, I'm putting in a little section on the RLF or ROP, and I'm putting in another section on infant care um, attachment. Because I, I really wonder with myself, I've had a lot of really, um, I had a wonderful life, but I had a lot of moments of insecurity and a lot of moments of um, I just didn't feel worthy. And I'm wondering if, I'm sorry? That you wonder if you didn't get to attach as properly. Well, I'm thinking something. They know a lot more today. Years ago, they used to talk about John Bowlby. Yes. You're probably familiar with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did he do the rhesus monkeys? I can't remember. But he, anyway, he definitely did. But attachment disorder, yes, was definitely what he wrote about. Yeah. And it's not that I wasn't loved or cared for because I was wanted. And mm-hmm. I, I, I guess like you, my head was about the, the size of an orange. And they said my body could fit into a man's hand. I wonder because, and I've seen this in other people too, or other young people. Well, they're not young now, but at the time. Um, there was a kind of a, an insecurity, mm-hmm. even though I know I was loved, I was wanted, I was you know, I was a joy to my family. I was the first grandchild out of 18. So my grandparents on both sides spoiled the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it gave my grandpa the opportunity. He was a very staunch Italian-American man. And he was very staunch and he, he was kind of unfeeling, but he wasn't. But that's how he portrayed himself. But mm-hmm. with me, I was his like, you know, I mean... Uh, it's a long story, but anyway, I, I was everything to him. Yeah. yeah. So I, it's not that I didn't have the love and the care, but what happened was um, several things happened to me. I went away to school at six years old. I went to Perkins mm-hmm. School in Ma- Watertown, Massachusetts. And I've got to be honest, the adjustment to Perkins was very difficult. But once I adjusted, it was the best place I could have been. Mm-hmm. I received a tremendous education in, in blindness skills. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, I, I, I really believe today that sometimes some of these young kids need a few years of it mm-hmm. so they can get their boots under them and, mm-hmm. you know, feel confident and feel, and especially now with technology and everything else we didn't have back then. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so I went away at six, and uh, I immediately collapsed again because I, uh, being away from home. So this is a pattern that I've had of depression most of my life, along with being blind, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 
kind of a miracle thing because at the age of two or three, I came from, um, like I said, an Italian-American Catholic family on my dad's side. I was raised in uh, Westerly, Rhode Island, which is right on the coast of Connecticut and Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think you were raised fairly close, so we have a lot in common. Connecticut, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I had a great-grandmother who believed in the saints because a lot of Catholic people believed in saints back then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was a patron saint of eyes, which was St. Lucy. She collected throughout our community, went door to door and collected so she could send a donation to the shrine of St. Lucy in Italy. Mm. And what happened through being introduced to a doctor from New Haven, Connecticut, because my uh, an ophthalmologist, because my grandfather on mom's side was dealing with with brain cancer Mm. he had something i don't know what it was some kind of medicine or something that he oh it's it's stunk to high heavens Mm. i remember it smelling like old old eggs but anyway whatever was in there maybe it was sulfur i don't know Mm -hmm. um it rejuvenated a tiny bit of sight in my right eye oh my gosh and it's now since gone but at that time it wow. gave me a couple feet of vision, even wow. though it wasn't, well, it was, I could see colors, I could see large shapes, but basically it wasn't, wow. you know. But, 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 and I really believe in my heart, because of her devotion and her love and her belief, um, I was able to see a few feet for quite a long time. Wow. Now, and you remember that? Or, I mean, was it? No. No, I was told, no, no, no. I was two, two and a half, three years old when this all happened. And I took this stinky medicine until I was about six or seven, and they said it wasn't going to do anything else. So they, But I, had, I, I took it in my cocktail. I either took it with orange juice because it was in a, a vial. You know, it was kind of one of those squeeze things. Or I took it with ginger ale. And so it was my cocktail. So I had to have my cocktail every day. Mm-hmm. And so I believe... My brother didn't survive, but I did. So there had to be some a divine reason that I survived. Okay. And, like and I've really always felt that way. So when I was 16, 17, I had gone to Perkins for nine years, and then I went to public high school. Mm. I believed at the time I wanted to be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And this was a goal, a mental health therapist, psychologist, whatever you want to call them back in the mm-hmm. day. You knew you wanted to help people with the emotions. I take it. Oh, yeah, it was always emotional, because I'm a very emotional person, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm extremely emotional. So it was all about feeling. It was all about the heart. Mm-hmm. It was especially our communities. Even back then, I knew that I wanted to reach out to people that were feeling like they were underdogs or people feeling like they were adjusting or they were grieving or they were going through a lot of stuff and they didn't know how to process it and get through it. At the time, I really wasn't into the entrepreneurial thing because um, that came later. But at that time, I wanted to be a therapist, and that was my life goal from when I was 16. And I was in and out of college, I'd say 12 to 14 years of my life. Um, and stop, or you'd start, and you'd do something, and then just go get something else. Well, I raised three children. My husband and I have three amazing adult children. Mm -hmm. So back in the 1981, when my first daughter Mary Elizabeth was born, 
I decided to be a stay-home-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. We lived in Albany, New York, but we moved shortly after that to Vermont because my parents had restaurants. Mm-hmm. They had a big family restaurant, and mm-hmm. I wanted to be with my family. I was the oldest of eight kids. Mm-hmm. My mom did have, I think she literally had 13 pregnancies, but eight so of us So one died, but she still had all those others? Yeah. And they survived. Now, that's Some. Okay. She had miscarriages in between. Oh, uh, but she smoked cigarettes. Pre- were any of the others premature? Maybe a couple weeks. My oh. brothers might have been a month premature because they were twins. She oh. had uh, six girls and two twin boys. Wow. Two, two boys. And okay. surviving. Now, that, now, it was, you know, a good Catholic mom, good Catholic family, and in those days, or very little birth yeah. control. <laughs> sure. Okay. So, all right. So she had me. I mean, she had all of us. So I always knew in my heart there was something important to do, but it didn't interfere with raising my family, but my family was the first and foremost raising my children, and I decided back in 81 to stay at home and raise them because my husband was also legally blind. Um went out to work every day of his life and took minimal jobs so he could keep our, we could keep our Social Security checks and raise mm-hmm. our family. Mm-hmm. And so there was a price he paid for this, and there was a price that I probably paid in a way. But I was in and out of college for all those years, two graduate programs. Um, I, was, I, I never quite got to the end of the road and licensed as a therapist, and that's been a devastation in my life. You did not uh, get licensed? No, I did not get okay. licensed at the master's level. I was six credits away from my second master's degree when mm-hmm. some things happened in 2015, and I, I won't go into it today, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. basically. And then my first master's degree, I lost a whole degree mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't put credits on my transcript. And when I went back to go college to return and finish up, uh, right around the time when I had breast cancer in 2004, the college wasn't... The university had sold their program to another university, and I lost a whole master's oh, degree. Oh, no. Yeah. I had even written a 300-page thesis, which I still oh, have. Oh, my God. Needs a little editing, but basically it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and my the topic, because it was, it was a university that was open-ended, it was Vermont College of Norwich University, and I lived in Vermont at the time. Um, Everything they was they were doing everything online. They were starting to do things online, so it was an experimental program. Mm-hmm. It was fully accredited. It mm-hmm. was just experimental, and it, the the parent company was Norwich University, which is in Northfield, Vermont. So this was like an outlier or out based, mm-hmm. you know, program within the system. Sure. So I did the thesis and papers and annotations, and so I basically have had all this inertia all these years where that was my life's goal except to raise my family and, and, and try to be a good mom and take care of three kids and, you know, whatever you do when you're parents. And, and that was very important to me with my Italian-American background. Staying at home with my kids was just a priority. Mm-hmm. It, it was just something. If I was going to have the children, I certainly was going to take care of them. I hear that. And, so David went to work every day, um, minimum wage work, so he could keep our Social Security checks. That's your husband, David? Yes, my husband's name is David. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we 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 met in Albany, New York. Actually, I was engaged to somebody else and broke off the engagement to date David. So that's why you wanted to keep the checks. Well, it was one of those situations where we kind of he had a, a small end. His education was in small engine work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but competitively to keep up was difficult. So he worked for the state of New York for a while. Mm-hmm. And I worked, I actually quit college in my junior year and decided I wanted to work and I wanted to be in an apartment by myself, you know, with other people, you know, meaning take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So I actually went to the Albany Association for the Blind in between my college career and I actually got office training to dictaphone type. Okay. Sure. Because, because yeah. I, I, I wanted to support myself and I had never really done that except for babysitting. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the neighborhood babysitter in high school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, there were about 20 families and I was the neighborhood babysitter. Mm-hmm. I was probably the oldest kid there who babysat where everybody else had real jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else went out and had real jobs, but I babysat. And so I became the neighborhood babysitter. <laughs> I always had this goal. Well, in 215 and 212, I went back to college a second time. After taking care of my grandsons for five years, because um, after I had breast cancer in 205, I decided to stay home and take care of the grandbabies. There were two grandbabies. Mm-hmm. And that was my joy, a Jack mm-hmm. and Logan. Mm-hmm. And that was my joy to, to be home with these babies. So in 211, things were starting to change. And I said, you know, I got to get back to school. I got to finish this thing. I got to do it again. <laughs> so I went. Sure. Yeah, I went to the Albany Association for the Blind for uh, six months to get mostly cane travel, but skills. But it was mostly cane travel. I was a lousy cane traveler, to be honest with you. I hung on my husband's arm too much, I think. And living in Vermont like we did, I didn't have. There were no streets to walk down because I lived in rural Vermont in the country. Mm-hmm. So we moved to Utah in 1996, uh, partly because I became a member of the Mormon Church, but partly because I wanted my kids to have um, more in life than what they were going to get where we were. Mm-hmm. So we moved, and, and, and this upset the apple cart amazingly because my oldest daughter at the time was almost 16, and my other two children, um, Megan, Sarah, and Christopher Stephen, were about 11 and 12. You don't move teenagers. No. You know, I, uh, I moved a teenager. It was, it was, oh, for her, it was just. But consequently, she married an amazing man, and they have the three beautiful children, and she has a beautiful home and a wonderful life. So guess what? It all worked out, didn't it? Yeah. But not at the time. At the time, I, I was I was a pariah, <laughs> and and I actually moved in because my husband would have been okay where we were. And my husband's a very um, easygoing kind of. He came from a farm environment, so he was kind of, you know, kind of things just happen the way they happen. Me, I was no, no. We got to do this, and we have to do this, and this is what we should do, and this is the way it should be. And uh, we moved our kids to Utah in 96, and we lived for four years. And then Mary Elizabeth got out of high school. She graduated. And then I moved back to Vermont for another four years because I figured, well, maybe it's time to go back with family again. Maybe things have changed. Uh, 
living in a rural environment, having family that pretty much tell you the way they want you to do it and how to do it and which way you should do it. I needed I needed separation. So you know? after a while of being away, you kind of wanted to go back? Well, I kind of was thinking, well, maybe things have changed. Mm-hmm. Maybe my siblings are a little different. Maybe we've gotten older. I don't have to babysit for my sister's kids all the time, plus mine. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of the family babysitter because I was the one home. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get out of the house. There was no nowhere to go and no place to, no way to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was kind of, oh, Aunt Renee will always watch the kids and Uncle David because, I mean, even though he worked every day of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like, well, she's there anyway with her three, so what's another two or three? I gave in to family and my husband, but it was mostly family that told me that I couldn't have a fourth child because I was blind and that it wasn't fair oh. financially to my husband. So oh. I I let them have, I had a tubal ligation operation oh. to prevent any more children. Oh, I wouldn't have had 10 more. I would have had one more. Right, I understand. But it was my choice as a woman. Mm-hmm. And that affected me traumatically for about four or five years, and I went into a very deep depression. Um, at that point, they started me on psychotropic medications and different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was about personhood. Mm-hmm. It was about woman's rights. Mm-hmm. It was about being a woman with blindness and being told what I had to do because it wasn't fair to other people. That, And you didn't feel had a choice or a voice? No, because I felt I was doing the right thing because I, I said, well, I'll go back to college and finish up and get my master's degree and do all this stuff. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was trying to convince myself. But from the minute I gave permission and signed those papers, I went into such a deep depression that it was like a death. I don't blame you. And you were already, part of who I was. Well, and you were showing that you had been a good mother and a good, you know, maybe not a grandmother by then, but a good mother. No, no. They did not know that you had been such a good mother? I don't think it really mattered. I think it was the practical things. I think it was, well, David's working every day. You guys are struggling financially. How could you even want another child? Or how could you even anticipate. I don't know if it was the physical yeah. things they were concerned about. I think it was more they were trying to protect me and say, enough's enough. You have three beautiful children. You yeah. had three C-sections. You were able to carry them to term. You were very fortunate. And I was. I felt so blessed. Mm-hmm. I never took those children for granted. Mm-hmm. They were gifts from God mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. And so one boy and two girls and um, to have something devastating happen like that, or let it happen, at that point I just I started looking internally and saying, what is this all about? Mm-hmm. You know, here I gave away something very precious mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. people told me I had to. Ugh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the other motivations that brought me forward because I, along with dealing with doubt, uh, bouts of depression most of my life, uh, sometimes long periods. And it was one of those things where um, at that point I said, I have to have my own identity. I, I can't let this ever happen. And I, and my attitude was I didn't want this happening to other young women either. Right. You didn't want... Well, maybe it would. No. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wouldn't have. 
but I think it happened more than I thought, mm-hmm. especially back in the 30s and 40s mm-hmm. when uh, they were sterilizing women when they had mental um, mm-hmm. disabilities or when they had uh, learning disabilities or mm-hmm. when they had, uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, they don't use the word retarded anymore because that's an ar- archaic word, but mm-hmm. people with developmental disabilities. Do you think you were treated as though that's what you had? Well, they know I didn't because I was very intelligent, and that's the one thing my mother always instilled in me, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. You will find a way to use your intelligence Mm -hmm. in this life. And that's the one thing she instilled in me my whole life was you might be lacking in certain things, but you are very bright and you are very smart, and you will find a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she kind of held me back, but she didn't because at the age of 17, I wanted to go visit my girlfriend who was doing her first year at Brandeis University in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and I took the train by myself. Mm -hmm. I went to Boston. I transferred over to uh, where Brandeis was. So even though my grandparents really protected me, especially my grandpa and grandma, the Italian-American ones, but on the other hand, uh, she was afraid for me, but she she made me do things for the method. Mm -hmm. But it was different for me since I was blind. Mm. And so I left the Catholic Church feeling very disillusioned. I couldn't walk in the church without crying. Mm-hmm. And I said, this can't be where I, my, I, want, I, I want my kids to be. I want them to have religion. I want them to have spirituality. I want them to have uh, a relationship with our Lord. Mm-hmm. But this isn't the way to go. So I met the Mormon Church and uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And they offered me family stuff, and they offered me love and -hmm. compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's what matters to me as far as spirituality. Mm -hmm. It's not the rules of a particular religion that matter to me. Are you still with the Mormon Church? No, I'm kind of, that was a lot of years ago, um, Mm -hmm. in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. I think at this point I consider myself a little bit of everything. Okay. It was a blessing that my kids were raised in an environment where people loved on them. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you go down the street, and the first day we moved in, I had four or five people helping me unload the truck. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a kindness and a mm-hmm. spirit that's mm-hmm. here. And mm-hmm. it's, it, I mean, it's a lot of places, but it, it particularly happens to be here. Mm-hmm. And I will always, always be grateful that there have been people in my life throughout my life that have blessed me in so many ways and been so kind and loving and caring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you stayed in Utah, even though you've kind of stepped away from some of that, but you and David are still there. We're U- there now. We came back in 2004. We left in 2000 because David was offered a job with family and we felt Mm-hmm. We felt that was good for him to have that opportunity. Right. It didn't work out. We went back to an environment um, in the Northeast, everywhere else too, but in the Northeast is a really bad drug mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. and alcohol. Mm. And I brought my son back to it. Mm. And my son Christopher is extremely ADHD. He's th- almost 35 now. He has mm-hmm. a baby. Mm-hmm. And he also has multiple sclerosis, but not at the time. And he's very ADHD. It's in my family history big time. My grandson Logan is ADHD very much. Mm-hmm. 
And Christopher, because he wasn't getting the help he needed in school and because we didn't know how to get it to him, because I listened to the system that said to me, well, you know, we'll just he'll be okay. He wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. So he turned to drugs mm-hmm. because that's what a lot of kids do in their young teens mm-hmm. when they don't feel connected or they don't feel they matter. Or they, With him, it wasn't a question of not feeling loved and mattered. I think it was more of a question of he, he was out of the loop. Right. He wasn't getting academic help he needed, and he kind of slowly turned to other things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like what you've done, unless I listen to you, is you've done lots of on-the-job training with life. I went through different stages of growth and development, constantly reading, mm-hmm. constantly taking notes in Braille, mm-hmm. constantly retaining things. Mm-hmm. And what I couldn't retain, I wrote down because a lot of it I couldn't retain. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? What do I want to do? Okay, first of all, I want to finish this memoir. Mm-hmm. And it's about my life. But uh, the first part's about my early life. The second part's about topics. Mm-hmm. Um, topics that people can relate to, hopefully, mm-hmm. and, 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 and get something from it. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not just about, well, she did this on the 15th of January and on the 30th, this uh, the first part was my young life, but the second part was lessons learned. It's about things that I've... Dealing with a depression has been more difficult than blindness has ever been. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that's probably true. I mean, but, you know, there's also, I think, more ways that there is some overlap many times with those that people don't understand. I mean, there are many people who think, oh, it's nothing, but there are... That's not ex- true. I think even the bit about being premature, I think there are more issues around that than a lot of people understand. And that's what I'm right now I'm, I, I'm doing research on mm-hmm. because I'm going to make that point that today compared to many years ago, what have they learned? Mm-hmm. What do we know about attachment? What do we know about loss? What do we know about grief or whatever you want to call There were several times in my life um, I really liked guys. And as a teenager, I was really awestruck by men, boys. Mm -hmm. So I really, in my background, you were going to get married and have kids and raise a family. Yes, it was great that Renee had education, and it was great that my siblings had the girls, the six girls. We had education, but that was there just in case because Mm -hmm. we were taught that men would provide. Mm -hmm. Well, in my family, in my situation, my husband did the best he could do. He was also a hands-on dad. He -hmm. wasn't one of those dads that came home and said, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. He came home and he's a very loving father and grandfather. As far as a mate, that's another issue. I'm not going to go into that today. I mean, as far as fulfilling what I needed or what I felt, Mm -hmm. because I'm totally opposite from him in many ways. He's a very practical person. Mm-hmm. I'm a very pie in the sky and let's hope and dream and action, action. Let's let's get going. Let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. He's more, you can't, it won't. He's, he's the original Eeyore. Got to be cautious. You can't do this. When you're young, mm-hmm. you have very different motivations and feelings than you do in your 60s. Mm-hmm. And so I I evolved. I tried, you know, but the book wasn't getting written, and I said, I want to do a YouTube or a podcast, and I know I've got lots to say, but who's going to promote me and help me figure it out and help me do all the technical pieces? And I want people to succeed and feel capable 
emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and financially. I don't want them ending up at 65 years old wondering if they're going to be able to eat or can they keep their house. Mm-hmm. So now I'm connected with the unblinded mastery movement. Mm-hmm. The guy who's, who's put this together for the past 22 years mm-hmm. has, is losing his eyesight because of uh, retinitis pigmentosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, RP. And you could say to me, it's about helping people learn how to sell, whether it means selling you, selling mm-hmm. your principles, your theories, your philosophy, mm-hmm. or whether it means selling products or services. Mm-hmm. It's helping people understand value in others. And mm-hmm. that's how it begins, is giving people the respect they deserve, helping and listening to them, actually listening to what's important to them and yeah. what they want to achieve. Uh-huh. So I believe one of my purposes and functions is to actually, in my community and other communities, like the mental health community and people with physical disabilities and other things, mm-hmm. my purpose is to say, hey, maybe something happened to you. Maybe it's not what you planned. Maybe it's, but God had a reason and a purpose, and it m- must have been meant to be. So let's go with what you have and what you can offer and what you can learn and what you already know. Mm-hmm. And let's help you do something so that you can take care of your families and yourself so you can go to those conventions and conferences and you can keep growing and learning or whatever means something to you. Mm-hmm. And that's what means something to me. It's being a lifelong learner because that's the way it is today. It's not like years ago where you went to school and that's the end of it. No. So I take it that even though you've had your struggles and all these things, for you today, there's a lot more hope and there's a lot more of a sense of purpose to go forward and bring what you've been able to learn and build within you over the years. Yes, because I'm on, the, I'm on the, uh, Facebook with people every day of the week. Mm-hmm. trying to help them figure it out and how they're going to go forward and that they're okay, that mm-hmm. they're okay. Yes, maybe they've lost their eyesight or maybe this has happened to them, but guess what? What did you have before? Or people like me and you who were born to it, I had to work through the pain and the disappointment of feeling different, feeling unworthy, feeling like I was an academic failure. Mm-hmm. And you say that shouldn't matter. It should be more about being a person and raising the children and being a good grandma and all that. And it is. But I'll tell you, there was something down deep in me that was so destroyed mm-hmm. by not succeeding that it was part of my identity. That now I'm at a place where I'm like, hey, I want to not just monetize this, but I want to help people understand they matter no matter how they look no matter what color their skin or whatever no matter if they have a disability or they think differently or like my daughter they're gay Mm -hmm. you know I it's my last hurrah because I'm 65 years old Mm -hmm. I only have so many years left just like you and something happens in your 50s and 60s when you start to realize that that this is a time 
I can't say physical abundance per se, although I want enough to be able to do the things I want to do. But this is the time of spiritual growth and abundance. This is my last opportunity to help people find purpose, meaning, Mm -hmm. life, love, care, and love themselves and like the skin they were born in. Yeah. There's lots of stuff to contribute and lots of stuff to talk about. Whether I interview people, and I know a ton of people now that I've been involved with the Unblinded Movement, I know lots of people who interview who have amazing lives or fantastic lives or are struggling. Also can talk about books. I'm going to go through your book, Debbie, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about you know your your premises and 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 what was it, what I got out of it, and what was important, and what I think others should be getting from mm-hmm. it. Thank you. One of the things I want to do is set up something, and by going to heavy hitters and people that have the means financially, economically, emotionally, whatever, introducing our needs to them and mm-hmm. saying, "Hey guys, look what we can do." I mean, here you are saving the horses, and that's wonderful. I'm glad that you're saving horses. But on the other hand, let's put something together where people can, if they need startup seed money, they can, they can borrow it at a low interest rate, enough where they can have people in their lives, like from SCORE and some of the business programs and whatever, to teach them what they need to, to have that company, to sell that coffee, to represent the spices, I'm talking to people that I know do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's got a cake. She's got a, a cake company. She charges $40 for a cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she's getting it. Yep. Okay, now maybe maybe that's not everybody's thing. There's a guy that's making a pen, oh, a wooden pen. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it, the guys that make the T-shirts. You know, there are many ways to are. monetize um, things I, and so I'm selling me. I'm selling my knowledge, my information, and I'm always growing and learning and, need, and learning more and changing. So mm-hmm. I am selling that as a premium because I'm saying, what can I do with all that I was re- received and all that education and all that time and all the skills and all the love and all the care? What can I give back? And if I can get something in the process so I can go to that convention in the summer or I can go to that seminar. And for me, it's also a trust factor. Okay, morality is very important to me. So I say, okay, spirit, here's what I'm doing. If you want me to do this, you want me to move in this direction, then you, I know you take care of what I need, you know. and And I am trying to make peace with that and really believe that because in my heart of hearts, I have to know that or I, I know, but there's still that doubt because I haven't succeeded. There's still that doubt that says, mm. no, the fates don't want you to do this. God doesn't want you to do this. Whatever you believe, you know, uh, it's not part of your, but it is part of this, part of my, my future going forward. And may, I do see some clients privately. Uh, I, I tell them I'm not a licensed therapist. Mm-hmm. I, uh, honest with them I don't lie and I don't say to them well I I don't misrepresent myself and I haven't gotten any economic but to spend two and three thousand dollars on a website and get people to help advertise for you and get nothing you start to say what's wrong with me there are other ways out there there are other ways out there to get 
I mean, if you decide you even want to do it now, there are ways. Even part-time. I don't want it full-time. I'm too old. I just can do websites for a lot less and, you know, some, so sometimes it's us doing our research and finding and talking to people and asking. That's right. You know, and, and. So, yeah, so all of that is... Because you, you alone are helping me, and other people have been there. And I, I, I am so grateful. People don't come into your life that aren't meant to be in your life. Mm-hmm. And there have been people, when you connect, mm-hmm. I am so blessed that I've, I've got high school friends I've reacquainted myself with. Um, I'm eventually going to go back to Rhode Island, probably, and my it's kind of an issue with my husband and I at this point because he wants to stay here with our children and I get him. But I'm going to go back east, probably. And um, there's a sense of community, a sense of uh, a small town doing things, accomplishing things, being there that I haven't found in a huge city. Mm -hmm. I found some of it, but not enough. So I I am uh, I want to be with family again. I want to be with friends. I want to be I, I'm making all kinds of friends. Okay, maybe I'm not shaking your hand and having a cup of coffee or tea with you because yeah. I really believe in that. I believe mm-hmm. that it's those intimate moments that make us who we are. But you're connecting in other ways, and I think that's real important. Even the, you know, the Facebook things like you're talking about, and, you know, that's still connecting. It's not the in-person, but it is a connecting. But I can still do in-person, and so can you. Maybe not with everybody. Maybe we don't want to do it with everybody. Maybe, I mean, I like my privacy. I like to read all the time. I like to do, I, I cook. I, uh... I used to knit. I haven't knit for a while. But, I mean, you know, I, I love Chris, Christmas movies. They're my absolute favorite mm-hmm. uh, because they always end happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that sounds ridiculous on one level because people could say, are you crazy? And I say, well, yeah, possibly because 10, 15, 20 years ago, I'd bake about 20 kinds of cookies at Christmas and give them out. Me too. But I think, you know, it's okay to want to be happy. I mean, there's nothing crazy about that. We need to fill our minds with good things. There's enough trash. That's right. I don't, I don't listen to politics as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't really care like I did. Not that I don't care. Right. But there's certain things that aren't as important to me as they used to be. It's about, as far as I'm concerned, it's contentment. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, happiness comes and goes according to a lot of things. But mm-hmm. contentment is an overall feeling that life's okay I'm okay, the world's okay, and and I can be out mm-hmm. and be a part of it. So I'm excited that you're going to do a show with us. And Me too. In the planning stages of it all, but I think it's going to be really great. And um, as, as we get going with plans, you'll be able to let a lot of people know, and that's really exciting. I imagine that you're really going to do quite well with it. Oh, I hope so. I am so grateful to meet you, Debbie, and I am so grateful for somebody who says to me, hey, I want to listen to what you have to say, and maybe maybe through you, other people can strengthen themselves and feel like they matter, and maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that they lost their eyesight, mm-hmm. or they can't hear as much anymore, or maybe they're in a chair. I don't know. There are so many kinds, and it's children. 
I want young people and children to believe in themselves and feel they matter. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like the young girl at eight years old that said, um, I want to be an air pilot when I grow up, and she can't see it all, but maybe in her day she will. I don't think today, but, you know, she wants to be a pilot. Well, I flew a plane when I was, um, what was I, maybe, a, was I 10? And, and, and we went on a field trip, and I was in a Piper Cub, and um, the pilot put his hands on my back and said, oh my gosh my mother was in the back seat having a having a heart yeah attack. heart attack yeah <laughs> he said to me oh he probably had foot controls well i don't know but he put his and you're saying if he did i didn't know it no and he told me okay turn to your left okay now push in on the wheel now pull out on now turn to your right and i said to lots of people well i flew a plane before i drove a car but you know, hey, what? And my and my my children keep threatening to me that they're going to take me out in the sand dunes, way out in southern Utah, someplace, and they're going to let me go in the car. They're just going to let me go. And I'm like, well, we haven't done it yet, but it, it's okay. See, I'm. I think you're a little bit more of a daredevil than I am. I I I I'm um I'm not conservative in my thoughts and my actions, and I'm willing to take risks. I'm not concerned, but what I'm concerned, I, I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll jump from a plane. I don't think that's quite my thing, but maybe for you it is. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm past all. I, I don't need to prove my... Lived it, you know? Yeah, I'm right with you there. I don't need to prove myself anymore, and guess what? I don't want to be a person with disabilities. That's a, I want to be a role model in a good way, but I don't want to be a superhero. I'm not a superhero, and I'm not a cookie cutout. Um, there are some organizations where they really feel you've got to be superior and you have to be above board and you have to be the most educated and the most skilled and you have to do things independently. Well, yeah, I get that, and I think it's great. But for some of us, it's more about the camaraderie and it's more about the friendship and it's more about the love and the smiles and munching together, as I say, eating together and and enjoying. Here is the schedule for On the Inside Track on ACB Radio Mainstream. All times are listed in Eastern and Pacific. Monday, 3 a.m. and p.m. Wednesday, 9 p.m. Thursday, 9 a.m. 3 a.m. and p.m. On the Inside Track on ACB Radio Mainstream. Brought to us by the American Council of the Blind. This is Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator. If you are not already part of the ACB family, you can join us by going to acb.org or call us at 612-332-3242 and we'll help you join our community. So I, first of all, am very grateful to Renee for coming on to this show and short notice. And I'm excited about her getting out here and doing her stuff and and helping to make the world a better place helping to add her gifts and talents to all of who we are and what we're about and i'm excited about a lot of new shows and changes and i know some of you are probably like oh we're not used to hearing those those ads or we are used to hearing them but not so much in the shows well you know it's funny we 
we laugh because some of us are working on um, we're working with production and we're working with audio editing and we have a joke about popping peas and I always remember eating those wonderful little banquet pot pies and I loved them because I love the crust and I remember one day so clearly saying to my mother how did those peas get in here and so I laugh about that in terms of and you may be wondering how did those ads get in here well I am super proud of our ACB affiliates who have jumped into the ad campaign putting their trust in ACB radio to produce an ad to help bring in more members to affiliates in turn to ACB I am super proud and uh, I'm very excited about new shows that are coming. Renee has one. Uh, we have Linda Bollet bringing Smooth Hound You. We have Tuesday Topics coming back. And I think Braille Buzz and uh, Library Without Walls. And we have Cindy with ACB in Action. And just lots of exciting stuff. And our bits affiliate blind information technology specialist now doing main menu and uh, friends in art doing art parlor so lots of exciting stuff so stick around we have more changes coming to the cafe stream it's about time and i think you might be very pleased and surprised with what's coming so hang in there with us thank you so much for being here and daring to live on the inside track. Let's face it, we are increasingly challenged to keep up with ever-changing technology. Would you like more help with how to use some tech device or equipment? How about programs and apps in your personal life and work? Consider joining Blind Information Technology Specialists, BITS, Membership gives you access to our exclusive email list for exchanging ideas, getting sometimes hard-to-find technical assistance, online presentations, workshops, and tutorials, and our live chat sessions. To join, go to bits-acb.org or email treasurer at bits-acb.org. We are Friends in Art. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. We sing, compose songs and poems, play musical instruments, read and write books, paint pictures, and take photographs. We are playwrights, potters, sculptors, weavers, and storytellers. We are members of the audience and patrons of art museums. We celebrate beauty in all that surrounds us. We are friends in art. Join us in the art parlor for stimulating interviews, thoughtful conversations, and the latest art-related information. Coming soon to ACB Radio.